Well, Oysters, it's go time. By the time this podcast airs, I'll have quit my job and I'll be on the verge of the big leap to Germany. And I can't believe that it's here. The time just melted away. And for all of you listening out there, I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks for supporting me as I grew the podcast and made my crazy travel plans for offering your connections and advice. I, I don't think I would be here without you. So from me to you and from everyone at Oyster World to you, thanks for listening. Welcome to Oyster World. Oyster World. Radio. Hello, Oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, where we seek to gain new perspectives and for an hour reach out of our personal bubbles and land in someone else's. There are so many different ways to live this one life, and it's my job to find those ways and bring them to you. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and today we're going to Hollywood. Well, actually, my guest, Vince Villanueva, didn't grow up in what we all think of when we think of California and the big cities, but a small town in the Central Valley. I loved Vince's story because he battled so much to finally make it to where he wanted to be, to where he dreamed to be. And a lot of the ups and downs are ups and downs that we can all relate to. But Vince just wouldn't quit. He would not quit. And as you'll see, he didn't just make it to where he wanted to go, but he had a hell of a lot of fun along the way. So Vince, welcome to Oyster World Radio and... Oh man, where where do I even uh, where do I even begin with with us? So we met at our friend Nick's wedding, and at first we didn't know each other at all. Absolutely. Well, I think for me, well, once you know, whenever you go into a new situation or a wedding or something, and you start meeting everyone for the first time, you kind of quickly get a gauge, like, okay, you know, are they are they fun? Are they down to do something? Are they not? Are they more the rule breakers, the rule followers? And I think when we had the drink tickets and they only gave us two. And two definitely wasn't enough. And I, we might have said like, wait, we only get two? And then it was like, well, we got to figure out how to get more. And I think from that point, it was like, okay, I like this guy. He, you know, he didn't say anything and now he wants to help get two, more than two and he wants more than two. So now we, we're in on this. And then from there, kind of just... <laughs> well, from there, we were just scheming and, I mean, pretty much poaching every single ticket we saw in existence <laughs> from the kids' little tickets to grandma's tickets to, to everyone's tickets. We were <laughs> trying to, to yeah, gather them up like, for ourselves. You know, well, I mean, you back up a little bit and we were the first two groomsmen who were there at the, the reception area. Right. And what we didn't realize is that the roll of tickets was sitting right there. We didn't know what they were for. I thought they were for. Oh, yeah. Wrong. We missed a big opportunity there. They were sitting Huge right there. Huge opportunity. So that, knowing that, and I think you, when you go through a situation, you, you think back, what could I have done? And that was the one thing I wish we would have thought of. If we had grabbed a roll. Could you imagine how many free drinks we could have had? I thought it was for a drawing. <laughs> like they're going to give away like a like, thousand tickets. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, well, and then didn't realize it anyways we did have complete control of that situation but we let it get away from us <laughs> yeah, i couldn't even imagine if we if we took that role 
Exactly. We would have been the kingpins of free drinks. Yeah. The kingpins of free drinks. We would have been throwing them out to the family. We would have gotten so much free liquor. Ah, man, we did. We missed... <laughs> he missed a huge open bar we opportunity. Open it up, there. open up the roll, and just tear it, put it in our pocket. But we didn't think of that. So next thing we had to do was go to Plan B, which was how are we going to get more? Plan B was not a very bad option either. And knowing that that you were right there, you know, willing to do it, and and then it kind of became a competition. Well, yeah, of course. Your first drink, they didn't take the ticket. They took mine though. But now. You still had two. I had one. Game on. Oh, yeah. And it was definitely <laughs> game on. We didn't waste any time after that scourging all the tables and Correct. just soaking up all the tickets. We knew the kids that weren't going to drink anything. So obviously, we had to swipe kids. those definitely before the other bridesmaids and groomen got to them. And then I think one of yeah. the, the biggest heights one of the biggest heists we had was when you went over to Nick's grandma and grandpa or was it Michaela's grandma and grandpa? I I don't remember, but you, you somehow came back with like 15 tickets. I don't know how you did it. Oh, absolutely. Found the table where grandma and grandpa were and nobody sat down at those, those places. So I never met grandma and grandpa. So I went, met them, happened to see the tickets and grab the tickets. I asked them actually. I said, "Are you using these?" They said, "No, go ahead." So I think they meant the the two tickets on the one plate, but there were like four plates that had tickets on them. So I casually just kind of kept talking and grabbed the tickets. So I need to thank um, Grandma and Grandpa for for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what got the whole party and started. Then, then going back to the table where all the groomsmen were and the bridesmaids, and somebody asked, "Did you get tickets?" And I reach it in my pocket, and I pull out nine tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so, for all the listeners out there, if you can imagine just Vince pulling out just a fistful, a fistful of tickets and just plopping them right there on the table. Right, and they're like, how? Well, then I realize, how do I keep going to the same waiter and giving him tickets? Like now I'm doing four, five, six tickets. At that point, I think they were fine with it. Oh, they they had to know what we were doing. I think they yeah, saw us yeah. at one point, but didn't really say anything because the one guy he just smiled at me every time I gave him a ticket for a new drink, and I, I for sure gave him more than two. So, and they they knew there was kids there at the they knew the at the kids dinner weren't and drink. everything. So they shouldn't. That's just asking for it. It's asking for it. Right. Yeah. So that was the start of. How we met <laughs> over drink tickets, which I thought was a pretty good way. Going to back to the original question, and then from there, you know, throughout the whole um, weekend or the yeah the weekend festivities of the the after the rehearsal dinner and then the actual wedding and then the wedding itself, the reception after reception the next day, like you know when you like what you said when you meet somebody and they're right on your same page and in talking you know with you kind of getting to know you how you um how you look at life and operate and your your struggles and your accomplishments i'm like this guy is great he's awesome we'll hang out (laughs) (laughs) thanks man i I really appreciate that it was so true though we were on the same page from the moment that we met yeah so um 
and you know we had a lot of uh fun we'll call it a lot of fun yeah <laughs> i think uh i think that's an understatement we had uh we had a ton a ton of fun but uh so thanks vince for coming on and the reason i really wanted to have you on too is because you grew up on the west coast yes. and uh i grew up in the midwest and a lot of my viewers are in the midwest and on the east coast so it's nice to have a perspective of what it's like growing up on the West Coast because we have some preconceived notions about um, West Coast life, you know, Hollywood and Southern California and the beaches and everything's so nice and never rains. And uh, I was wondering if you could help give us a perspective of what it's really like. And mm-hmm. um, as someone, you know, you're in show business, you're in DreamWorks, you're in the music department of DreamWorks. Yeah. So what is it like kind of under the big lights or what we perceive to be big lights? And um, can you give us what it was like growing up or what was Mm -hmm. a day in the life of of Vince Villanueva growing up? Uh, Can you hold on? I have to take a call from my agent real quick. Oh, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) I grew up in... I thought you were serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also an actor. No, I'm for real. I thought no. you were serious. I thought you had an no. agent on your phone. <laughs> oh, my agents. God. All right, you got me. God damn it. I'm my own agent. Um, no, I grew up in a small town called Kingsburg, which is about 20 miles south, directly south of Fresno. So Fresno is the biggest town closest to us. So Kingsburg is a village. Actually, it's called the Swedish Village. It's Swedish Village? What, what does that mean? Um, so the founders of the town were predominantly Swedish. and so Oh, so they made it look like a, an old Swedish town? Yeah. I mean, so they um, – like the downtown area is decorated as like old Sweden, like with the flower pot um, – you know, by the windowsill, uh, dollar horses, and just if you think old Sweden, that's what my downtown looks like. It's similar to Solvang, California, which is the Danish version, and we're the Swedish version. Where is Solvang? So, up the 101, um, kind of by Santa Barbara. You know what? I've been there before. I remember my family took a trip up the 101 when we were going to San Francisco from San Diego, and we stopped in, in Solvang. It's, uh, it is kind of like this uh, Dutch city or little Dutch village yep. just placed yep. in the middle of California. It was it was really strange, but it was a pretty big tourist attraction near Temecula where we were yeah. where we were visiting, and it was just this tiny little Dutch village in the middle of the rest of normal California. Well, I mean, I don't know if there's a normal California, but I think that's kind of what you know I want to kind of discuss. Like you know, you were saying that you have this perception of you know, what California is. And yes, it is beaches. It is sunshine and great weather, you know, like ranges from 70 to 89 year round kind of thing. But where I grew up was a small town, like I said, in the Central Valley, San Joaquin Valley. And so it's a lot of farming town and it's, uh, it's a farming community. And a lot of my friends, they owned farms and their, their, plan or trajectory was they go to high school to figure out how to do everything and then they just pretty much take over the family farm my family didn't have a farm my dad worked on the farms when he was younger but 
you know, that that's what a lot of the Central Valley is. It's the breadbasket, you know, um, and the temperature there. I mean, it gets extremely foggy in the winter and in the summer. It's over 100 consistently for like two months. So so it's not. Yeah, it, it, there's not a lot of humidity. It is the, the dry heat that they talk about, but it's not really what you think of when you think of California. Now, the thing about it, it's it's central. So we're two hours away from Yosemite, two and a half hours away from San Francisco, three hours from L.A. So it literally is the very middle. Um, but it's it's unlike any of those those areas. So where I grew up, you know, I grew up with the same people starting in kindergarten all the way through my senior year of high school. I knew them. And, you know, there are a couple of people who came in, some who left. But, you know, that's that was just the town. It was population of about 7,000 and you know they they prided themselves on the the population sign saying the population was 6,789 so 6789 <laughs> um and it was that that for a long time and then I went off to college and then when I came back it was already 11,000 so the town has grown almost double but in the grand scheme of things it is still a small town even when I go back it's a small town um, you know, that, that's kind of fascinating to me because we think of uh, California as the big cities, San Diego, San Francisco and L.A., but it's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot of state. There's a lot probably a lot of small towns all throughout California and kind of the same as the Midwest. And yeah, um, it's it's kind of hard for for me to to, to think of that, too, growing up in, in city in, in Cincinnati. But. Um, right. What 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 was it like? What was it like growing up in a in a small town? It was safe. Everything it was very safe. Like we didn't lock our doors because everyone knew everyone. Um, like growing up, there were a lot of grape vineyards. So for us, the fun thing would be when they irrigate the, the grapes. You know, you have these like long rows, like quarter of a mile of water with these little islands of dirt sticking up. So you basically tried to not fall in the lava and try <laughs> I love and, the lava game. Right. Yeah. So it's very, you know, it's, it's a kid game and you walk all the way down and then you fall in the mud and then you, you mark where you were and you go back, you know? And then so you, I would come home with my pants just completely dirty and I had to get home by the time the street lights went on, you know? And so it was a very, like, it seems very Americana, but I don't think people think about that when they think of California. They think of Hollywood and they think of San Francisco, which is, you know, the liberal hippie town. And and we're we're not that we were a small town. So it was but it was going back to your question. It was very safe. Um, I, my family all lives there, both sides of my family, my mom and my dad's side. And you kind of also had to watch yourself because if you acted up somebody from your family will find out they'll see you or... oh man you couldn't get away with anything it's crazy what was the worst thing that people found out about what was the worst thing that you did it had nothing to do with people finding out it was actually when i lied to my parents <laughs> oh no even worse <laughs> I, mean, I mean yeah oh no i well i take that back that was when i was younger i forget what i lied about but that was the first time i saw my dad cry what was when when he confronted me and said um, I thought we raised you better than that. And then he started crying. Vince. So that was a, a game changer. Good Lord. Um, 
the second time was when my sister graduated college. So it was a long time in between that. But what happened? I I was driving my my car when I was 17. It was a Toyota Celica, 82 Toyota Celica, and it had a sunroof, right? And they said make sure that everyone stays seat belted in the car when you're driving. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. So I take my friends to Denny's, which is the local hangout in our town. Good old Denny's. And we are leaving Denny's, and my friend, she decides to open the sunroof and stand up outside the sunroof. Well, as we're leaving the parking lot, my parents happened to drive, wanted to drive by and get Denny's because they knew we were there, turned into the parking lot. I saw them. My friend was standing outside the sunroof, and I said, get down, and I'm like, I'm dead. I'm dead. The <laughs> one thing they told me not to do, and I did it. So I was waiting to hear from them. <laughs> was this the only time that you had someone stand out of your sunroof? That somebody stood out the roof, yes. <laughs> what are the chances that your parents would roll into Denny's yeah. at the exact same time? That's so it's unlucky. It's a small town. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'm so used to being in a city where it – there's no way my parents would find me when I was doing my my neighborhood pranks or whatever. There was not a chance, but <laughs> I guess the chances were a lot yeah. higher for you. Oh, yeah. They found me, and then uh, I dropped everyone off, and I get home. And I think they intentionally took their time having dinner. I'm waiting for them to come home. They come home, and then they said, so um, we need to talk. And that's when I found out that I got the car taken away and I had to walk to school. I was a junior. So I was like, oh man, how, that's embarrassing because I have a car and everyone's going to ask me where my car is. And they said, well, you can tell them that you know you had somebody standing out of the sunroof and that your car got taken away. I'm like, I'm not telling them that. Said, well, then you can figure out what to tell them. So that was pretty much the biggest thing. I was, look, I was a very studious kid. In high school, I was in the band. I was on the math team. I was on the science team. I was in student government. I was a very nerdy kid. And of course, you get nailed on the one time you do something wrong because that's just so that one how time, it works out. That's how yeah. it always works out. The one time that you decide to do something wrong, that's when they figure it out, or that's when they find out. It's hilarious how things. How it's yeah, yeah, and oh, man. I, I, I'm sure my parents would be able to tell you, like, you know, other than that, I was a very studious kid. Like, I was, you know, very well behaved, and they raised me right. But that one. And now you have to walk to school. It wasn't far at all. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was a five was, miles uphill school, both ways. No, no, no. The high school is on one side of the town, and then you have to walk through downtown, that looks like Sweden, and then we are on the other side of town. So I had to walk right through the middle of town in order to get to school. So I'm like, all right. Well, I think one or two days I called a friend to take me to school or pick me up. Um, and then the other days I had jazz band, which was before school. So I just left early. I was just getting home. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, cars in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> but since you had to walk through downtown both ways, everyone right. knew that you were walking to school. So you were pretty much screwed. You were pretty much screwed. Exactly. So... That's that's small town life. I mean, it's it's fun, safe, but it's also, you know, there are pros and cons. But I think for me, you know, I started traveling when I was 12. There was a group 
from our town that went to New York and DC and Washington. And my parents let me go. Oh, that's awesome. You know, and I was chaperoned with a group and that was the first taste of traveling that I ever got. And it was awesome because I'd seen uh, things in person that I've only seen on television. And that was huge because again, from a small town, you're, you don't expect to see the empire state building and, um, central park and then Washington monument, the white house and all that stuff. And that was when I was all one trip or separate trips. And did you only go to New York and Washington DC and Philadelphia? We did like one in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of started up my, you know, desire to see what else is in the world. So that was when I was 12. And then when I was 16, um, oh, I played sax. You know, I was in the band. And I had the opportunity to be in a national concert band that toured Europe when I was 16. Oh, that's so cool. So I don't know how or why, but my parents let me go. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I had to raise the money. So it was a lot of, like, bake sales and selling stuff at all the festivals that we would have in our town, um, doing yard work. I just needed to raise half of the money and they would pay the other half. But that definitely taught me, you know, that if you want something, you need to work for it. It's never, ever handed to you. And the reward was that I did it. I made the halfway mark. So they paid the other half. So when I was 16, I went on a month long tour of Europe and saw France and Switzerland and Germany and England, Italy, like it was unbelievable. Oh, that's so awesome by your parents letting you letting you go. I know that's not a normal trip that a lot of people take on. It's probably hard to let your kid go and do that. But yeah, what was uh, the impact on you? What was uh, after coming back on the trip? Did you see things differently or? Well, the impact is that it just kind of furthered my my hunger to see what else is out there. Um. But it was scary, too, because everything I ever knew was in this little contained environment. And now I'm going to an environment where I don't know the food. I don't know the language. I don't know the culture. Which can be very nerve-wracking. But I was also in a safe zone in that I was with a tour. It wasn't just by myself, obviously. But I think that gave me the confidence to to try new things. And, And it's okay to not like something or be afraid of something when you first encounter it, but you have to at least encounter it to see like the end result. Am I like, am I more comfortable now with it? Or is it something that I've experienced and I, you know, I can chalk that up to to my experience card or something. So going on that tour was great because you're going through all these different countries where you, there's no possible way to know all the languages, you know? And so you, you just kind of go with it. And I remember when we got to France and they had a full dinner for us the first night and there was um, steak tartare and some sort of duck. Mm, steak tartare. So good. I have never I've heard of it, but I never tried it. And I tried it. Steak tartare was pretty amazing. Duck pate. Not at all. I'm not a fan of it whatsoever. And to this day, I don't eat it. But. I'm so thankful I had that experience. And then I came back home and again, I think once you experience something and then come back to what you know, everything seems a little bit smaller because your your view has kind of widened at that point. Um, And so I knew when it came time to go to school and go to college after high school, 
I needed to leave the town and I needed to go somewhere and I needed to, to, cause I always had that safe zone. Home will always be a safe zone for everybody. But I, I had this strong pull to leave the nest. My parents obviously supported me, but I was the oldest. I'm, you know, their first child. I'm the only person in my family to ever consider going to college. So while they're encouraging me to go, you know, my mom and my dad were just like, you know, it was hard for them. It was hard for them. Yeah, yeah, so. especially when it's uh, more accepted for you to just stay in the town. But um, so this brings to a big turning point for a lot of people is that senior year of high school where we always have to make some kind of grand life decision. Right. <laughs> and you're only 18. So make a decision for the rest of your life. Yeah. You, when we were talking a little bit earlier, were pulled into a lot of different directions or four different directions <laughs> like we were talking earlier. So what what was it like? What was that decision process like? like what were your options and how did yeah. you go through them and pick which one was right for you? Yeah. So like you said, there are four, um, four directions I could. One was staying in the town. The second was to go up to Davis. So it's not far from home, but it's also... Is that UC Davis? Yes, UC Davis, in the town of Davis. And it's not far from home. It's like two hours away. Um, so it's far enough that people can't just pop in. But it's close enough that if I really needed to be home, I could. So, and it's a great school. Um, the UC system is awesome, and so I thought that would be, a, you know, I should apply there. So I applied there. The other one was to go to Stanford in engineering, and the other was UCLA music. Man, those are some no joke options. Right. Dang. Right. And so, if you look at a map where I grew up. And where these three options were, it was pulling me. Uh, UCLA is south of me, three hours south. Stanford's about two and a half hours uh, northwest. And Davis is about two hours north. So I was being pulled. The backup plan, I guess there was another option, was to, when I, if I were to stay at home, would be to go to Fresno State. So I applied to the three schools, Davis, Stanford, UCLA. I, got, I knew I got into Davis. So I knew I was going somewhere. Ugh, always good to get that first one locked down. Yeah. And so I think that's when the reality started hitting my parents that I was I was going somewhere. And it was very hard for them. And it was very hard on me, too. Like, leaving everything that you know that's comfortable is not easy. Um, and then I got into Stanford and UCLA. So now I had to pick between the, the three. Um, I rolled out Davis. And so I either had to determine to go into music in Southern California or engineering in Northern California. Um, so you not only had to decide between two different geological locations, you were being pulled either north or south, but you had to choose between two very different routes of life for different majors. Right. Music and engineering, uh, definitely one creative and one way more logical. So you had to make not only a decision where you were going to go, but yeah. what you were going to do. And... Yeah. Wow, that, that, that's a that's a tough decision. It's um, right. yeah. yeah, you had two very different routes to choose from. Yeah, and and the two roads are using two sides of your brain. So either I go 
to study music and it's a creative side and you know you can be as creative as you want in school and it's not that really that difficult the difficult part is after school when you're trying to figure out your job or go to engineering where it's really difficult in school but when you graduate it's not as difficult to find the job that was my perception when i was 18 to add on top of all of this my senior year i'm having to decide do i go to up north, down south, that was when we found out that my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so getting that news was like the rug was completely pulled out because I had this plan of what I was going to do. I applied. I got financial aid. I'm ready to figure out what I'm doing. And then you get this news that the rock of your life all of a sudden has breast cancer. And I remember talking to her and saying, Whatever I decide, I've already looked into it, and I can actually um, postpone my first year. I can defer my enrollment. And um, without without hesitating, she said, no, do not do that. And I said, are you sure? And she said, cancer that I have, I'm fighting it. And it doesn't need to affect anybody else. And I would, it will not affect my family that way. And so she said, stay, you're going to stay the course. So adding on top of all this decision making, um, I had to make the decision and realize I was leaving my mom behind. Um, so <laughs> that added to everything. And so when people say, you know, it's really hard to leave the nest, I understand, <laughs> you know, um, it was extremely hard. And uh, so I had to decide and I decided to go with UCLA and go to music. And I think the reason I did was because it was I was so passionate about it. And even knowing that I might not get the best paying job out of college with it, it was what I was passionate about. I think that was another lesson of me learning, you know, do what you're passionate about. The money will come later. Um, just find what you're passionate about. But, you know, here I was a senior in high school. I was the class valedictorian. And now I'm going to college and I'm starting all over. I'm going, I'm going to be a freshman I'm dealing with my mom who has health issues, and I start at the bottom. And I, what I didn't realize is that was going to become a trend in, in my career, my life. But I think I'm so fortunate for that, and I'll explain why later. But at the time, it was like, why me? You know, why, why do I have to start over and do all this? But that's the scary part. We want to stick with what's comfortable because we know it's coming next. But if, we, but if we actually challenge ourselves, we can actually and have to restart somewhere else and whatever it is, as long as we love what we're doing, it shouldn't matter. So well, thank you, Vince, for sharing that. I know it's, um, it's, a, it's a tough topic, but um, so you're getting, you're getting dumped onto this college campus. You're the first of your family to, to go to college, so yeah. you don't really know what to expect. Um, you finally made your decision going to UCLA for music. What yeah. was the 
first day like what was what was moving day and what was going on in your head during the the chaos that is moving day yeah so <laughs> again to add more so i was in the marching band at ucla and because we're on uh quarter system we start later than all the semester schools so semester schools are starting but we have football games and the athletic department wants the band there so the band actually meets early before anyone moves in, which is great because you don't have to deal with move-in day when everyone's trying to move in. Oh, you skipped the chaos. Right. So we moved in a week early, which was great, but then it's also not great because when my parents dropped me off, they dropped me off at the dorm. There was nobody around, and they really felt like they were just leaving me and leaving me there to hang and dry. Like, it wasn't good. (laughs) I was fine. I was fine because I basically come to the 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 realization that you know i'll be able to check in you know with my mom and my dad and my i have a younger sister um my mom was just she thought i think she thought did i make the right decision in letting him go but then she's like yes i did like that's what he needs to do he needs to follow his path it's not my life like if it was up i think it was up to her she would rebuild ucla a mile away from our home and let me go there. But she couldn't. And so she knew this is what she had to do, but it's not what she wanted to do. And so those are two different things. And again, it's, it's, I think everyone's life has these ups and downs and it's how you maneuver around them. And I could have easily, you know, um, played the victim and just said, I can't go to college. Nope. I'm not going to do this. I have too much stuff going on. I know what I'm, what's going on here in my town. I'm staying here. I'm doing that. My parents would have loved it probably. But for me, I needed to to follow my dream and follow my passion. And so although it was really scary and and the most challenging thing I had to do, um, I had to do it. And I think everyone should do that. Everyone should get uncomfortable because you're going to determine how to quickly get comfortable again. Or you're going to realize it was too much. But you have to at least put yourself in that position. A lot of times we just remain in one area because it's safe. And I understand that. I would Trust me, I would love to stay safe. <laughs> but I, I couldn't. So move-in day was, like I said, I was fine because it was my new chapter. And I was done reading it, but my parents weren't. And so... When, from what my dad has told me, they, you know, they left, and for about an hour, my mom was just crying, and she, it wasn't a sob, it was just like tears rolling down her face, and she just didn't talk to anyone because she felt like she had left her child, but she, and she did, but it was time for me to basically take all those lessons that I had learned for 18 years and apply them, how to treat people, how to deal with people. You know, because now I'm in this. In, the school is bigger than my town. The school is thirty thousand people. Multiple my town was your seven. town. That's a lot times your town. Yeah. So you're gonna get ideas and people and personalities that are way different than what you're used to. And it's how do you deal with that? How have you prepared for that? And so for a while it was. You know, and everyone at that school was their class valedictorian. Like it's you know very hard to get into that school, um, and so it was 
the best thing for me. You know, it was, but it was hard. Like I said, dude, to leave the nest and to leave everything I know, it was really hard. Yeah, I can only imagine. I remember it was really hard for me to transition to college, and I had both my parents went, my sister went before me. I couldn't imagine being the oldest and not really knowing what I was getting myself into. But yeah. so you had all these different routes that you were going to take, and in the midst of the the starting your decision and starting down the path that you chose, it was really difficult and. There was a lot of external mm -hmm. factors like your mom as well. Did you, was there any doubt in your mind? Were you ever kind of in this period, this mm -hmm. beginning period when everything was still unknown, you weren't quite uh, acclimated to, yeah. to where you were going? Uh, was there any doubt? And how did you combat that? How did you get past those, those thoughts in your head? Um, I mean... Well, the first time, you know, dealing with something like that, you, you're, I mean, for me, I was questioning, like, you know, it, after being at school for two months, I remember walking in the middle of campus and seeing all these people there and questioning, did I make the right decision? And I think that's somewhat normal when you make a huge decision like that. Did I make the right one? Or you reassure yourself, I definitely know that because of this, I did make the right decision. But I questioned myself, did I make the right decision? And then I thought about it, and I was, like I said, the first one in my family to go to college. I left this small town. I didn't want to be the person that came back and said, don't do that. you know, Because I have a younger sister, and I was setting the example for her. And anyone else who you know I knew from school, like, you can go out. And you can do things. You don't have to stay here. Um, so I knew that if I came back, that it was going to be almost like a failure. And I didn't want to be that. My parents didn't raise me to do that. My parents raised me to finish what I started. you know. And I had set my path for four years to finish what I started. Um, just a small story. I remember when I was playing soccer. No, sorry, it was baseball uh, when I was a kid. And my coach was just... A tyrant like he's the kind where you hit you hit a pop fly and you know you catch it and you don't ground it right take a lap you know it's like wait what you know rather than tell you what you did wrong so I wanted to quit baseball I'm like he's not fair he's not consistent and even my dad told me he said it may not be fair but you signed up for this you have to stick it out to the end you cannot quit and so I think from that point, it instilled in me that whatever I start, I have to finish. So, wow, that's a pretty important thing to learn when you're that young. Yeah, yeah. So going back to what I was saying about being in the middle of my campus and you're seeing all these people run around, the perception is that everyone around you has everything figured out and you're the one person that doesn't. <laughs> I feel and, like that every day of my life. <laughs> Seriously. We well, asked do things change, and I'm like, nope, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Then you, when you dig deeper, you realize that no one and nobody right. has any idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah, so I see all these people, and it's like, well, they probably had their siblings go to college, or they're, they're come from families, and some of them probably did. But... I knew I had to stick it out and I had to finish. And 
So I did. I finished. I did it in four years. I was a, ended up getting a degree in music and education. So I was going to be a music teacher. And I had a job lined up as a music teacher in a junior high here in Los Angeles. And for me to do that would have been a huge accomplishment because I came from a small town. And now I'm going to be working in Los Angeles. But for me, that wasn't my passion. I thought it would be great. And I would love to teach, but my passion was to go into film music. And so I said, well, how do I do that? So, and I think that's a question that a lot of people have when you graduate. How was it making that decision? Because obviously that's a big jump. You've been in school Uh for four years, getting a music and education degree and have got your job lined up. And at the end of the, the day, that's kind of what the school system is supposed to do, but uh, how did you know that that's not what you wanted to do or change course so quickly? And was there like a moment that you realized it or was there just an epiphany at some time? Like what was it that really made you switch trajectories uh, out of college? Yeah, I mean, there there wasn't a moment of revelation. It's more like, like I think everyone thinks there's an aha moment and sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. I think it, for me, it was reflecting back on what, I've gone through already. That was kind of like a gradual aha moment, moments, I should say. Um, but it made sense to me that, so when you're in, let's say junior high, you have to get in the, the good math class. So you can get in the honors math class in high school. And if you do all that, you get into a good college and then you get into a good college and you graduate. And that's a point where the road kind of ends where nobody's saying, Unless you go into like law school or medical school, there is another set of curriculum that you take that will lead you to your career. But for me, the end of college, there was nobody standing at my graduation saying, congratulations, you're graduated. Here's your job. And that's the hard part. And I think for a lot of people, it's that way. You have to go out and find that job. Now, some, it's easier than others. Like, for example, for me, I had a job lined up as a junior high music teacher. It doesn't normally happen, but I wanted to go into film music. So it wasn't really one I wanted to do. Um, and at the time it was, I graduated from UCLA in 98 and it was the dot-com boom. And so my friends were being flown up to Seattle and out to Chicago. And if they signed that day with the company with like pets.com or, you know, com or whoever was, they would get $20,000 signing bonus just for signing and saying you're committing. And so I see all, all of my friends are being like making six figures plus their signing bonus. I'm like, that's unbelievable. For me, I decided I needed to go work at the studios because I wanted to go into film music. My rate was $8 an hour. <laughs> $8 an hour? So Yeah, man, that was a, that's yeah. a pretty big sacrifice. Exactly. So Talk about a like a mind shift. Like I graduated from a great university and now I'm starting all over again in the real world making $8 an hour. But the reason that I did that was because I knew this was the path I'm supposed to be on. It was in a film studio and my job was in facilities. So I rearranged furniture. I set up meeting rooms. I clean dry erase boards. I restocked copiers, but I was in, I was in a studio. And for me, 
that still must have been a really hard time for you. I mean, you went to UCLA and got your degree. You were valedictorian of your high school. And then you went back to this almost minimum wage realm. Was there any light at the end of the tunnel? Or Not at that. Well, at that time, no. But when I look back, I realized what it was. And it was the thought of if I if I pursue this music education um, career that's being given to me and I'm not doing film music, am I going to be okay with that, the current job? And for me, the answer was no, I'm not going to be okay because I haven't tried it yet. I needed to try it and see if I like it or not. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier is that when you, when you find something that you're uncomfortable with, you have to try it first and then determine whether or not it's something you want to do. I, I wouldn't be, I don't think mentally okay, not going for film music. So that was the, the question. It was like, I could be, I could have a somewhat of a good paycheck that would let me live. Okay. Being a music teacher <laughs> in Los Angeles, you know, it would be comfortable, but like you said, not the greatest pay in the world. Yeah. But it was guaranteed. I was guaranteed the, um, is that your agent again? <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would be guaranteed a paycheck that would be fine or going to this making $8 an hour. And I chose to go $8 an hour. And I think it's every time we make a decision that, you know, when we come to forks in the road, we're, we should be a little bit scared. We should be worried. Like, well, what if I make this decision and go left and I should be going right. But the great thing about life is that it's not as linear as we think. Like, yes, a minute is the same now as it will be in five months from now. But if we make a quote-unquote wrong decision, you can always put the car in reverse, back up, and figure out how to take the next path. A lot of people, I think they say, they, they feel, if I make this decision, I'm stuck with it for the rest of my life. And that's not true. I've seen so many people who have reset or rebooted themselves like, hey, I want to go into psychology now. Or, hey, I want to open up my own uh, store. And people do it all the time. But we're kind of programmed from a young age that make sure you make the right decision. Because if you don't make the right decision, you're not going to be able to do this. But what people should see is that you can back up and you can do something over again. For me... When I went to DreamWorks and made that low rate, I restarted all over again. I, re, you know, like I, like you had mentioned, I graduated from a university and now making eight dollars an hour. Where's my, where's the benefit going to come from that? I had to put trust in my decision that it will come later, and it did. Eventually, it did come around, but. It was really hard to see that when all of your friends are really – they're making six figures right out of college. They're 22 years old making $125,000, and I'm literally making like $30,000. So so to, to see that, that was a tough pill to swallow. But again, you have to be able to, to reboot and reset and start at the bottom if that's what you really, really want to do. Yeah, I could see where this would be a really tough time. Your friends are out in the world making six figures. You're mm-hmm. taking an eight-hour job just to follow a dream that you mm-hmm. have. And that that dream does provide a lot of motivation. But was there ever really a dark time where you almost quit or when it got really hard? What 
what do you think was your mm-hmm. darkest moment uh, along the path before you you eventually broke through? Yeah, I think everyone. So I'm a very you know happy-go-lucky person. You know <laughs> what you? Nah, dude. No way. You, you a happy-go-lucky person? Nah, don't no, buy it. Me? Don't buy it. Yeah. Um, and I think the perception is that. Oh, he's never down. He's never sad. He's never questioned anything he's done. He's never depressed, never down on what his decision was. And I'm, I've gone through all of those at some point. And so when a decision was made, like for me, the motivating factor for me of staying at my job was the fact that I knew it was the right path. I was in the studio and as I got more and more involved in the studio, I realized it's really hard to get to work inside a studio. So I was already in the door. I was already behind the gates. So that was the little, a little bit of the motivating factor is that I felt I was on the right path. Now I met with the film music department because I was in facilities. So I get, I got to meet everybody, which was met with them. And there were 10 people in the department. They said, until somebody leaves, we can't add another person. It's Ugh. a headcount thing. Now we're dealing with like corporate headcounts and all that, and all that. So, oh, that's the worst. For me, I was okay. Well, I'll wait. So I actually went into animation production because it was a job that opened up, and um, so I worked on a couple animated films while I was waiting for those jobs to open up in film music. Well, job opened up, and I interviewed for it. And I didn't get it. So now I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking, is this now the questions start coming up? Is this really the right decision? Like, did I make the, did I choose the right path? And I'm like, oh man, maybe it was, maybe there'll be something quicker because now they're, maybe people are leaving, right? So it was a year later, another job opened up and I interviewed for it. And I did not get it again. Oh, you got to be kidding. Now you're thinking, now I am personally thinking, okay, am I wasting my time? Am I spinning my wheels? Am I going down the wrong path? You know, I think everyone kind of sees Hollywood and they see, if, you know what I, what I do now, that it was just, it was a simple path. It was, oh, he lives in California. He moved to LA and now he does this. But if you start looking at all the minutia of it, you realize there are so many ups and downs that I had to experience those ups and downs in order to get to where I was today. No path is ever easy and nothing's ever handed to you. You really have to go out and get it and you will be knocked down and a lot. So think about that. You are you can taste the job you want and you tried twice and now you've been told twice you you're not the right fit for it. So I'm thinking, okay, how much longer do I give myself? And these are all questions that I think everyone kind of asks themselves is how, how much longer do I hold out to get what I want? Or should I cut my losses and leave now? Well, me being somewhat stubborn, <laughs> I decided. Yeah. And you know what? Being stubborn sometimes can be a very good it thing. It can be. It can be. Think about the tickets. I was so stubborn to get like multiple tickets at the reception dinner that it paid off. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so true, so true. Yeah, so 
it was about a month later and another position opened in music. And I told myself, if I don't get it, I need to leave the company. I need to go somewhere else. And I interviewed and they said, we should know by the end of the week. And on Friday, I get a phone call from the head of music. And I'm thinking, if he tells me, <laughs> you know, there was somebody else, then I'll be crushed. And he said, hey, you know, I um, wanted to check in with you to see if you'd be interested in a gig in music. And I, try, I had to keep my cool. And I said, yes, yeah, I would love to. That'd be awesome. He's like, great. I'll let HR know and we'll get the paperwork going. And I hung up the phone and I started crying because I'd worked so hard. And it's like all these little victories. It's like you, you, you know, you've made it finally. I was an assistant in the music department, but I made it at that point because I had figured out how this, this kid from a small town that has no traffic lights, it's all stop signs. We don't have a movie theater, a mall. We just, we just, when I was in high school, we got a Kmart that our band played at the opening. <laughs> so to go from this tiny little town to move to LA and then go to DreamWorks and now get into the department that you want, I was like, I have finally made it. I knew there was more to come because I think with anything, there's always more. You're always trying to better ourselves and see what else we can do and push and challenge ourselves you know that's why you're moving you know out of the country like right. some people would never ever consider that so i think that is a trait that i i wished everyone would do not necessarily moving out of the country but find the edge of your comfort level and challenge yourself to take one more step i think if we all did that we would all experience more and be more well versed in what's going on around us so I'm now in music. I'm in the music department. I'm the assistant to the head of music, and I love it. Some people would never take an assistant position. I did. I loved it. I, I got to answer phone calls. I spoke to people on the phone. And then I was like, okay, now that I'm in here, what more – what area do I want to go into? So music clearance is one of the areas in the department, which is basically – any film or TV show that you watch, there's music in there. The music clearance person is a person who contacts the labels and the songwriters to make sure it's okay to use that song. So when I first got in there, I worked on three films that I was super excited about, but the public wasn't super excited about it. It was <laughs> Win a Date with Tad Hamilton, Envy. And surviving Christmas. I loved Envy. <laughs> what do you mean? I loved Envy. I used to watch okay, it all the time was... as a kid. See, that victory came 15 years later, you know? <laughs> That's so funny. Um, and so I'm like, oh, this is not what I thought it would be. But it was fun. And I enjoyed it. And the outside success of the movies wasn't going to determine my happiness level. It was what I was doing. Because you can't. You can't predict what these movies are going to do or what these projects are going to do. And that's another thing that I learned is that we always want to know if I do this, will I be successful? Will it be successful? And you can't do that. You, there's just no possible way. So, and so rather than get worried, I just said, all right, let's just make the most of this, you know, um, so, yeah, I, I did film music and I started doing music clearance, um, you know, worked on 
a lot of films you've probably, besides all those hits, those first three hits, um, I did like Shrek 2, 3, and 4, um, Anchorman, Tropic Thunder. Wow, that's a lot. Lovely, or uh, Heartbreak Kid, I Love You Man. So I did a lot of stuff that people know about. And I think that gave me the first taste of when somebody mentions a movie that you worked hard on, that there are so many people that, that get joy from what you do that you'll never see. You'll never meet them. And you, maybe you will, but not everyone. So that was kind of justified why I went into entertainment and, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing. I got to give you a lot of credit, Vince, because that that's definitely a story of perseverance. All of the the times that you've been knocked down and especially coming from a place where, you know, you mm. a small town that likes to keep within the small town and you branched out outside of your comfort zone and really just kept going until you made it all happen and now you got credits and all of these different movies that we all know and are part of this <laughs> entertainment scene. It's, um, it really like, you know, puts a, puts a little fire in me to definitely keep going on <laughs> what I'm trying to do. But I think a great way to wrap it up is when we were talking earlier, you actually <laughs> met a friend from, from back, back home in a, at a concert that you just went to and her reaction was um, pretty much summed up what this whole story is about. So can you talk a little bit about meeting your friend yeah. and what she, t- and what you guys talked about? Yeah. So, you know, all these, all these stories that I'm telling happen, you know, 10 or 15, 10, five years ago, but this actually happened just last night, just yesterday. Um, I was at a concert and I ran into a friend who I knew from junior high school and, you know, we were catching up and she said, you know, said, I'll be honest, I, you know, stalk you on Facebook and I see everything that you're doing. And she said, I'm really so proud of you. I was like, me, why? And she said, because you are somebody who I always knew was going to do something. And she said, I thought it would be in music, and it was. She said, but you came from such a small town, and now you're doing all of these things that affect people. Now, what I didn't explain to you is that she had just um, went into remission for breast cancer as well. Wow, no kidding. And so the reason she was at the same concert that I was at was because tonight is also the concert Fleetwood Mac is playing. And that is a bucket list item for her. So to hear her and her perspective on on life and accomplishments, she looked at me and she said, you know, I always knew you were going to do something and you're doing it. You're making people happy and it's involving music. And I'm so proud of you for that. So for me, it's like all those those questions and those decisions I made standing in the middle of UCLA's campus wondering, did I make the right decision or, or leaving my mom, my senior year of high school and making the decision to go there. They were hard. They were extremely hard decisions. And I I hope that I don't have to ever make those kind of decisions again, but had I not made those decisions, I would not have been at that concert. And I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have known Nick. I wouldn't have met you. And so 
it's kind of mind-boggling to think all these decisions that we make lead us to exactly where we are right now. And how we made a different decision back in high school, who knows what my life would have been. But, But I think we have to really enjoy life and what we have and everything that we have right now because you don't know when it's going to be gone, but you have it here now and might as well enjoy the hell out of it and do as much as you can with life because, it, I mean, it can be taken away so fast, but we're here to just be happy. And I think for me, I found a job that – it doesn't seem like a job. It doesn't seem like work. I love doing what I do, and it is a lot of work, like quant- like the number and volume, and but it's fun. And I get to do so many great things. And now I'm at a point where I can actually bring people along. I'm about to start on a show. Um, they're rebooting American Idol. And I'm about to start working on that. And I'm like, you want to come see it? And I have that power to do that and bring people and enjoy the ride with me. And so I'm very fortunate. And I've gone through a lot of stuff, you know, like with my mom. My mom ended up passing away in 2009. But all those lessons that she taught me. Are the lessons are done now, but they're being applied so much that it's almost like she's still here, you know. So, if if I were to say anything to to the listeners and everyone listening to this, it's you know, change will happen in your life, and sometimes we control the change, sometimes we don't control it. Either way, you know, I would encourage everyone to just accept the change. Make yourself a better person because of it and really push yourself to step outside of those uncomfortable zones. So, Well, Vince, I think this is the perfect message to, to wrap up the, this conversation. It's, I'm a firm believer that there's, there's a ton of decisions every single day that you make every single day. And some are much more monumental or seem much yeah. more monumental than, than others. But whatever decisions you make, then... You are exactly where you need to be. And uh, as I make a big jump, I also have doubts and all kinds of anxieties that, that come with it. But I know that even in the hard times, even in the tough times, it's a building block to, to where I go and where I want to be. And I think that your story Damn, your story is uh, <laughs> is one of sheer perseverance, and even though you've been knocked down so many times, you continue to get back up, continue back up. You should be yeah. real proud of that man, and yeah. where where you've come and where you're going, and now you're going to <laughs> some great concerts and being able to look back and really enjoy the the journey that you've been on, and that's exactly what it is. It's a it's a journey through life, and I love that you are enjoying it to the fullest. And thank you, Vince. Thank you, Vince, for coming on the show. It has been so great talking to you, and I'm sure that we will talk again soon. Definitely. Perfect. Well, thank you, Vince. Thank you, Vince, for coming on the show. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio, and we will talk to all of you again soon. Thank you for having me. Three, four.
Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio, a production of Oyster World LLC. I am your host, Nathan Lieberman, and thanks again to my man, Vince Villanueva, for coming on the show. To learn more about Oyster World, go to the Oyster Hub at oysteryourworld.com and check out what we're up to. If you want to connect, don't be afraid to reach out. Follow and tweet me on Twitter, at Nathan Oyster. Find us on Facebook by searching Oyster World and follow me on Instagram, Nathan.Oyster. Keep up to date on how the move is going on all the socials and don't be afraid to reach out if you have any questions or just want to pass on some words of encouragement because I'm probably going to need it. You can find all the links in the show description. Special thanks to Charlie Milken for all of the Oyster Jams. Check them out on Spotify or at charliemilliken.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Thanks again for tuning into Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks. But until then, this is Nathan Lieberman signing off. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about our time that's gone by It's time for a change in my day-to-day scene Time to turn around from that clock Face the mirror and change